We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance in this program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince Tedario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And we've got a fun little uh, exercise to go through here today. We, we're going to shift our focus uh, from you know, our player previews and, you know, what we, you know, who's going to be who and things of that nature. We're going to talk about the coaching staff and mm-hmm. uh, we're going to focus on the offensive coaching staff uh, first. And 
this is a big this year. is assistance yeah we're not talking and, about right. Brian. we'll have a whole different show about brian kelly and we're also gonna have a show later on about jeff quinn so he will not be mentioned about this because he's in a unique situation different yes, from is. all the other coaches yeah 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 uh so yeah so this is an assistant driven uh conversation so right um, and and this is a big year for notre dame in general mm-hmm. i mean it, it is a just because of the guys that they lost, uh, the schedule that's in front of them, you know, the schedule that is next year, the recruiting class that's come in, this is kind of a, either Notre Dame's going to take that next step yeah. up, or I think they're going to take a step right. back. I don't know that they're going to stay. You know, it's hard to stay. Quo. It's yeah. hard to stay there. I mean, that's just the fact because other teams are getting better and teams are getting worse, and and you know, so we we've seen sort of Notre Dame sort of plateau the last couple of years, right? You know where. You look at it and you say, okay, the last two years they've gone, you know, 21 and four, yeah. I think, right? Which is pretty good. Uh, but the problem is, is they're, I think, three and four against ranked teams in those two years, yeah, teams that exactly. finished the season ranked, you know, and then one of those wins is over Navy. And that's just ranked. That's not top right. 10. That's teams that finish ranked. ranked. Right. And, and so, you know, you lost to Clemson and Alabama again this year. You had a nice one over Clemson this year. And as we said at the time, no, it was not a, a top five necessarily or top three Clemson, but it was still a, a good Clemson still, team, even without those still players. Clemson. It's still Clemson. Right. And then, you know, you got beat by Clemson and then you beat North Carolina. That was probably the best. I would say that's the best win Notre Dame has had since since probably USC 2017 in my opinion, as far as quality of opponent and then impressiveness of the play. So, you know, there's been some good moments, but, you know, lost to Georgia, lost to Clemson, lost to Alabama. And so the question is, is are they going to are they going to ascend and take yeah. that next step or are they going to start to fall back? Because it nobody just stays in that almost exactly. category, yes. you know, there. And so this is, to me, the year that they need to take that step because the schedule sets up nicely. The, the roster sets up nicely, and we're going to find out just how good this coaching staff is because if they can't thrive this year and make the necessary adjustments and changes this year, then you're not going to do it in 22 and 23 when you've got Clemson and Ohio State on the schedule both years. So, yeah, that those that's where we're at. So it's an exciting year, and it's a big year, and, and there's a lot that needs to happen that's going to tell us, yeah, this program's ready to take the next step. So let's kick off this little conversation here, and we'll start at the top. Not the very top, not with Brian Kelly, but the top of the offensive food chain, um, at least as it is uh, you know, written down that we think is the top of the offensive food chain. And we're going to start with uh, offensive coordinator Tom Reese, uh, Tommy. And, uh, you know, so many things. We've talked about what the offensive philosophy. We've talked about so much that has to do with this offense. But Tommy Reese – in, in theory, the buck stops at the desk of Tommy Reese. So why, Brian, in your opinion, is this such an important season for Tommy Reese? I think I think this – let's break this down into three categories okay. regarding Tommy Reese. Number one is the coaching from a position standpoint. Yeah. Number two is coordinating. And number three is recruiting. Uh, and, and so let's kind of go in, in that regard. Number one, let's talk about coaching. Number one, you're, you're inheriting a quarterback – that is experienced but not experienced in what you do. And Correct. then the rest of your depth chart is loaded with guys who have never played a meaningful snap. Well, and they've only been coached Drew, by you, though. Right. Drew Pines played two. You know, I mean, well, came in that, and handed off against Alabama, right? I mean, those are meaningful snaps. I mean, yeah, okay. you know, so I mean, that was the, you know, they hadn't pulled their starters yet against Alabama. I'd say that's a meaningful snap, but it okay, was, you know, hand, handoffs. Uh, you, you know, you're in a situation where, 
it's time for you to show that you can kind of reload. You know, I mean, you look at the top schools, they lose starting quarterbacks all the time. You know, Alabama loses uh, to a Valoa, number five pick in the NFL draft, and they're even better on offense the next year. You know, we, right. we've seen this happen time and time again. You know, Jacob Coker leads them to a national championship in 2015. Jalen Hurts comes in as a true freshman, not a five-star recruit, not even a top 100 recruit on the composite ranking, leads them to the college football championship game. You know, then the next year, him and the combination of him and Tua go out and, and lead him to a national championship. So, you know, then Tua takes over. They go play for the championship again. And we could do the same thing with Clemson. You know, a year after using to, losing Deshaun Watson, you have Kelly Bryant step in. He was not nearly as good as Trevor Lawrence and, and, right. and uh, Deshaun Watson. We still let him back to the playoff. You know, and the only game they lost in the regular season that year was a game he got knocked out of. So, I mean, that's just what the good teams do, right? I mean, we've seen what Oklahoma's been able to do year after year after year. So, you know, it's time for you to show that, hey, I can develop quarterbacks. And right now he's really – to me, the track record is spotty, if we're being honest, as a position coach. You know, you coached Brandon Wimbush, who regressed to the point he got benched. You coached Ian Book, whose quarterback rating literally declined every single year he was in the offense. His best quarterback rating was was 2018. His best, his, All of his best numbers were in 2018. 2019, he put up good numbers, but didn't play well in big games. His quarterback rating went down a couple points. And then as a fifth-year senior with five starting offensive linemen back and a really weak schedule, yeah, his quarterback rating takes a huge drop, you know, down to 140, be 144 this year. So, and, you know, I think cases could have been made that there's probably times Ian Book probably should have been benched in 2019 the way he was playing. But, you know, again, he's got to show that, okay, I can – kind of take this and we're going to really take this the this right. to the next level you know what can you get out of jack cone what are you going to be able to do with tyler, a talented player like tyler buckner what are you going to be able to do you know with drew pine you know are right. you going to be able to develop different skill sets you know and look jack cone and tyler buckner are two different players how are you going to be able to develop those two things at the same time and that's something that experienced coaches have to learn to do and and this is going to be a challenge and i think tommy failed at that challenge if we're being honest the first time with yeah. Ian Book and Phil Dracovic, but he was a young coach. We've all made mistakes. I think we all can look back at our coaching careers and say, boy, I wish I would have handled that kid differently, or I no wish doubt. I would have done that differently. Uh, you know, and that's part of the learning process of coaching. And it sucks that the kids are the ones that have to kind of suffer. But I mean, yeah. I, I wish I could have coached my first two years as a coach with the knowledge I had by the time I was in year seven. You know, I mean, those are that's just, I mean, we all have those conversations. It's a, it's a maturity issue, it's an experience issue. It's, all of that, because I agree right. there, there's things that I said and did. And, and the way I coached certain kids, my first couple of years, yeah. I was like, wow, who was that guy? Yeah. You know, we, but yeah. that's all about the maturation process of your coaching. And that's and not to put words in your mouth, but that's one of the reasons you didn't think he was quite sure. ready for this particular position. Sure. I just thought Tommy Reese, as talented as he is and intelligent yeah. as he is, needed a little bit more seasoning. And that's why I thought Joe Moorhead was going to be the right hire, because I felt Joe Moorhead would have given him a different uh, voice you know, than the, basically the Brian Kelly voice that he's had throughout his entire adult life with the exception of right. like two years. Right. So that, that, so, but again, still talented kid, talented young guy, young man, um, talented coach. And the, you know, let's see him kind of develop and learn and take that next step as a position coach. This is an sure. important year for that. Uh, because I don't want to hear any excuses from Notre Dame's coaches about, well, we're not that, you know, we're, we're not playing well this year. We're not scoring like, because excuse A, B, C, and D, right? Okay. I don't want to hear it because 
teams lose players all the time. Right. You think Alabama's going to score 32 points a game next year? They lose Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee right. Harris, you know, Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson. I mean, think of all the players they lost. You think they're going to they're going to take a huge step back and you think Nick Saban's going to make any excuses if and, they do? No. And they lost not. their offensive coordinator. That's right. And offensive line <laughs> I mean, coach, you know, and running backs coach. So, cuz he wow. uh, Charles Huff took the Marshall Hedge coaching job. The the offensive line coach left the tech for Texas with Sarkeesian. So, I mean, they've got a brand new and he hired Bill O'Brien as his new coordinator. So, anyway, the point is there's no excuses, right? You're you're year 12. If you're if you're not ready to reload by year 12, you know, go find something else to do. So, yeah. I think that he will and so I think he this is a big year for coach Reese and I think that he's going to he's going to be to me, evaluated on how well are you able to develop your room? Right. So th that's the coaching point. The, the coordinating part is interesting, Vince, because I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree okay. with it. All right. Other than Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese is the least fireable coach on the Notre Dame coaching staff, and I mean that in this way. Knowing Brian Kelly, mm -hmm. knowing how Brian Kelly – views his stubbornness when it comes to admitting mistakes with hires there's knows, no knows way no bounds knows no there's bounds yeah. no way anything could happen this year that would allow him to that would result in him firing tommy reese outside of tommy reese doing things that he has no choice and that's not who tommy reese is right, right. tommy you're, reese you're talking like off the field it's something illegal yeah, right. right and and that's not tommy reese that's right. not going to happen so if it, Tommy Reese is in an interesting situation because I'm your guy, right? You picked me over all these, this national search. Um, he actually has a lot more pull than I think that, that people realize. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if he realizes it. And I'm saying, I don't know because I don't know. I don't talk to Tommy Reese. He doesn't talk to me. Uh, so it's a thing where you got to be willing to walk in and have the stones to say, I hope that, you're battling him as hard now as you did when you were a player. Because yeah. him and Brian Kelly butted oh, heads a yeah. lot. Yeah. And I think that's something Brian Kelly liked about Tommy Reese because I that's agree. why I think he liked Tony Pike so much at Cincinnati. He liked a quarterback that was willing to kind of yes. go back at him. I did. Um, I liked that when I had a quarterback yeah. who, who would be like, what are we doing? You know, yeah. I, I think it's, it's got to be Within done the reason. right way. Right? I, I agree. But, I, I want to say that, yeah. But – you know, so I want to see Tommy. I want to see Coach Reese be able to go into Coach Kelly and say, "Look, we got to make these changes, right? Like, I'm sorry, we we've got to do this. We need to we need to get out of the the Stone Age offensively, and we need to push the tempo. We need to do this. We need to do that. And then, you know, force Coach Kelly to give you more control. Not not in a way where you walk in and say, "I want more control," but just your assertiveness, your aggressiveness, your constant leadership as the offensive coordinator is kind of saying, "Hey, look, this guy's ready. It's time." You know, and and I think that's important because, it, look, if he continues to call the Brian Kelly offense, he's going to struggle in, in regards to how he stacks up against the other teams. And we're going to hear the excuses about they don't have this playmaker and that playmaker, and they only have three top one hundred you know receivers on their roster or four top hundred receivers on their roster. That's clearly not enough, you know, to be good. They only have you know the best tight returning tight end in the country. They only have a bunch of highly ranked you know, offensive linemen, you know, they only have, you know, 1,000 yard rusher on their roster and the other guy's just a top hundred guy, you know, Chris, I mean, I'm being sarcastic here, right? There's plenty of talent for Notre Dame to be a 38 to 42 point per game team next year. And not just that, but a team that can also then score against the better teams in the schedule, but not if they keep doing what they're doing. And, well, and so he needs to, to do that, Vince. So that's my question is, 
do you agree with the premise that he has the foot? Because here's the thing. There are certain coaches that can't walk into Brian Kelly's office and say, we need to make those changes. And that's why I say I, I think Tommy Reese is one of those coaches because he holds a unique position in that he is the offensive coordinator. He's your chosen one. <clears throat> and there's no way in heck Brian Kelly's going to fire him because right. Brian Kelly's not willing to admit that he made a mistake. And I'm not even saying he necessarily made a mistake. That's not the point. So, I mean, do you think he has that kind of leverage, Vince? And do you think he is a guy that would be willing to wield it? Well, your your original premise was that he is the second most uh, unfireable person. I would argue that Marcus he's the Freeman mo- is the I, number one. I would still, I would argue he's the most unfireable person. I yeah. would, I, I would, I would make that argument. Look, he is operating. You know, you hear you hear about people operating without a net. You know, mm-hmm. he's operating with the biggest net on the planet. Okay, he can get right. away from a football standpoint. He can get away with whatever he wants at this point. And I don't think that his job is in jeopardy. I really mm-hmm. don't. Um, I, you know, Brian Kelly, the hiring of Marcus Freeman and the hiring of uh, Tommy Reese were two completely different animals, right? I mean, it was t- mm-hmm. two completely different situations. And I would venture to say that Tommy Reese is still the most unhire- unfireable person on the staff. I, that's his guy, man. You, mm-hmm. you talk about how. So you're doubling down on what I'm saying. You're saying it's even more. I am tripling down on what you're saying because I think that he's got enough in his back pocket because of the way, you know, his relationship with Brian Kelly, the way the hiring went down. He can absolutely walk in there. I mean, shoot, he could probably just say it over family dinner. I mean, that's probably uh, where they could talk about it. Um, (laughs) Obviously, I'm joking. But I I think that they have that kind of a relationship. I think that there's a bit of a father-son my uh, pupil, teacher, you know, they're tight, man. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I think that um, he could go into that office and they could have a real open dialogue and he could say, this is what we need to do. Whether he'll do it or not, I think is is the big question. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, right. obviously. It may have already happened for it, all we know. It we, could we, have. We, and, we and don't know. And BK could have shut him down. We don't right. we don't know that either. So. Um, hopefully it did, but I think he does have the gravitas in this particular position to do that. And I hope that he has, or will do that in the very near future. Cause it needs to happen. I agree. And, and there's another coach that is part of this conversation too, but it needs to happen because they need to be able to open up the offense. And, and I think coach Reese can thrive. I do too. A more modern offense. I think he's got he lots really, of toys to play with. Yeah, he can get creative and have some fun with it. Yes. And, and so I, I hope that he's given that opportunity to to do that because I, you know, because again, if anything, it would give Brian Kelly the opportunity to kind of say, "See, I told you so." Yeah. For all the people that said it was For a bad sure. hire, and, and yeah. it would mean nothing because it's like, okay, by year three, he's doing a great job. Well, look, that was never my issue. My the issue was, was in twenty twenty. Yes. You had a team that was designed to make a run right and you didn't take advantage of it but uh you know but i think eventually he's going to be an outstanding coordinator i just it's how long is it going to take and is brian kelly going to give him the will the ability to i think almost kind of like he needs to be able to fail a little bit and and what i mean by that is failure is failure is relative i mean it's not it's not not saying lose lose, to a max school like that's not what you're saying it's okay. The defense handed me my stuff the first week of fall camp, right? right? That's what I mean by, you know what I mean? And we got it. We, I've had that happen. We've gone into camp and, and we thought we had a great plan for how we're going to start camp. And, and the defense just handed us our lunch the first week of practice. And then we had to make some adjustments. And by the time we got to the season, we were really, really good. But 
those things happen. That's what I mean by failures, but it's it's gotta be it's gotta be him, right? It's gotta yep. be his decision, his game plan, yep. his offensive philosophy, his his practice plan, those kind of things where you know, he can kind of go out and say, Hey, you know what? We didn't get enough work in in the run game this week. That's failure. So like spring practice. Hey, you know what? I really want I set a goal for us to get through this part of our our install package and we didn't get to that because I didn't plan <laughs> yeah. appropriately for practice. Those are things I think he needs to experience, you know, success and failure with. And so um that's what I'm referring to failure, not like right. <laughs> They need to start 0-3 next year, and it's going to benefit Tommy Reese. It's every coach, I think, benefits from that kind of stuff. But when you're having things dictated to you in, in the manner in which I believe Brian Kelly dictates things on offense, it it makes it a lot more challenging. So that, that to me, is, is kind of why I believe Coach Reese is, is a guy that has to step up in I, that regards. You know, and, and the third topic on, on Coach Reese, I think – for me, is the one with the biggest question mark right now. Uh, it's as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. And the current cycle uh, that, you know, the current recruiting cycle for quarterbacks, normally the quarterback is in the class by now, um, at least as far as I can tell. And and, yeah. that's not, that's, and I'm not necessarily in that, that's saying that that's his fault or whatever, but I also feel like the guys that are being recruited by Notre Dame, or at least the guys that I've seen being recruited by Notre Dame, they're, they're not the home run hits that I was right. hoping that they would be going after, if that makes sense. And I know you probably have your own take on it. This is mm-hmm. my understanding kind of on the outside looking in. Um, I feel like he could do so much better. I mean, I, I don't feel like he's reaching far enough. Yeah. There's some quarterbacks out there that I know for a fact have a lot of interest in Notre Dame that are better than all but one of the kids that they're currently in on, in my opinion. One of the quarterbacks they've offered I like a lot, and that's Gavin Wimsett from Kentucky. He's yes. a dude. He's a top 50 recruit. Steve okay. Angeli, to me, is not a needle-moving quarterback. And he's recruit. the guy that everybody's saying he's like the number one guy on Notre Dame's board. From right. what I've heard. I don't we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I mean, I have some skepticism about that because okay. I kind of feel like if that were true, he might have already been in the class by okay. now. But, but we'll see. Maybe he is purposely slow playing. He's not a needle-mover recruit. Uh, you know, there's guys like Drew Aller, who I'm going to have an article on Sam Horn, who I'm going to have an article on. So, uh, the COVID thing, I'm not going to blast them for not having a quarterback by now. I would rather you wait to get the right quarterback sure, to, get, get that. to get a guy early. Um, you and know, I forgot so, about COVID. that's a really good point because yeah, they're not they able camps to get last out. summer. They have they this, this class especially is going to be challenging because, yeah. you know, these guys haven't, it's been over a year. It's been about a year now since these kids were able to be on campus. Sure. And when this dead period's over, it's going to be over a year. And so a lot of these kids weren't old enough to really make visits. And some of the kids that are just now kind of becoming top recruits, they weren't necessarily top recruits when Notre Dame was right. last able to get kids on campus for games. I mean, they could bring zero kids really in right. uh, for games this year. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass on the, not having a quarterback in the class because to me, I don't really care. I mean, Alabama's, you know, you look at them and – them and them and Ohio State are going about recruiting two different ways. Ohio State's loading up early, and, and Alabama loads up late. You know, there's different ways to get it done. I just just get it done, right? Yeah. That's the point. So yeah, I have some questions about quarterback recruiting, but for me, the recruiting aspect of it is much much bigger than just the quarterback recruiting. To me, yeah. it's it's you know, if we're being honest, the all the, the almost the best receivers they had in last year's class were guys that committed when Chip Long was still the offensive coordinator. The the you know with the exception of Rocco Spindler, they didn't add a single guy to the class that was a top recruit since Tom Reese took over. 
you could say the two running backs, but neither of those guys were top recruits. I mean, you know, LSU got involved with Logan Diggs late, but Notre Dame didn't beat out a bunch of SEC schools for Logan Diggs. Now, I think he's a very good player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing him that. I'm saying it's a lot easier to get a Logan Diggs when LSU offered almost a year after he committed to you than it is yeah, to right. beat Logan Diggs when, you know, LSU was offered him when you offered him. And it's it's already home field advantage. I mean, you're already back right. from a Audric Estime, they beat Michigan State for, right? He was committed to Michigan State, right? They didn't beat Ohio State and Penn State. So so that's my thing is, you know, I, I look at some of the recruiting and you say, okay, well, they just added a running back from Texas. Very good player. That's a good start. But, you know, he's got he, and he's got some areas where he doesn't have a lot of help, you know, where uh, we'll get into Coach Alexander here and Dell Alexander in a minute. But, you know, Chip Long was able to overcome that. You know, you go follow the recruitments of, of Lorenzo Styles, for example, and Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts. Chip Long was the driving force behind those. And Tommy Reese assisted in some of those. Tommy Reese assisted with Jordan Johnson to a degree. I remember when we first talked to Jordan Johnson, you know, the coach who was recruiting him at the time was Tommy Reese, actually, not Dell Alexander. Huh. Uh, you know, so that was, and it was just sort of, that was his region, you know, one of his regions and he was the one sure. that got him on the door and his foot in the door. And then of course, uh, Chip Long came in and helped finish that. So, you know, how is he going to be as a recruiter is not just himself as I've talked to, to recruits that, you know, I've taught, I've had people that, that we that are doing recruiting for us now that have talked to recruits and they say, hey, look, he, he's hitting the right buttons with kids individually. That's a good thing. But can he close? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the question. Can he close with top players? Can he close with Caleb Brown? Can he overcome Michigan and Ohio State for a guy like Caleb Brown? That's huge. That's a huge thing yeah. for me because he is a game changer. And he's in Chicago. He goes to St. Rita, right? Saint. Catholic school kid yeah. from Chicago. <laughs> right, right. Right. You gotta get it done. That's Notre Dame's wheelhouse, right? Right. There. And yeah. so and they say, Well, you know, he he you, you gotta be able to go into the room and say, Hey, hey, Lance, you know, we gotta get this done. Hey, Jeff, we gotta get this done. Hey, Dell, we, we gotta get this done, man. You know, I need you to to up your game because we gotta get this kid in the class. That's what a coordinator has to be Absolutely. able to do if he's yes. gonna be a great recruiter. Yes. Uh, and you don't have a head coach that's gonna do that. So you have to do that. Yeah. And so does a 28-year-old guy have the 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 confidence in himself to walk in there and, and have that stern conversation sometimes with someone who's much older than he is? Right. Um, but you need to be able to do that in order to 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 make this work. And so uh that's what we need to see from Coach Reese. And 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 that's I have my concerns about that because again, I need to yeah. see him close. And it's concerns because we just haven't seen it. I need to see him close. Yeah. And and if he's not able to do that, then this class is going to kind of revert back to, to what it has been, which is a really up and down inconsistent year. Same thing, offensive line, they got to close. Um, tight end recruiting is a bit a bit head scratching. Uh, running back recruiting is looking good, but they got to finish, right? Receiver recruiting, there's a lot of guys on the board, but do they lead for any of the top guys? Okay. Well, then you got to come from behind and go get it done. Yeah. So those are the things that I look at and say, those those that combination of three things make this a big year because the roster that you're going to you have in 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 as you're looking to make this run is going to primarily be driven by the class you just brought in which again we we had a heavy chip long influence in this class and you know you, you talk about saying well we don't have enough playmakers well go get some <laughs> because there's there's some out there are places that are pro Notre Dame areas that you got to yeah. go get it done. And that's the best part about coaching in college. There's no salary cap. You know what I mean? You can go get playmakers like that. That's my thing. You, you don't have to work. Well, you know, we're in a small market where this, where that you're at right. Notre freaking Dame. OK, right. you can go get 
If you work hard enough, you can get those dudes. You can get them in the class, and they're eligible to play right away. You know, this right. is in 1962 where freshmen can't play. So you can change the narrative very, very quickly mm -hmm. if you're at Notre Dame. And I think that's what frustrates the heck out of me is that we hear that, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that. Well, whose fault is that? Right. Go get them. Right. Well, first them. of all, they have that, but let's not let's not I, go I, there because you're gonna you're gonna distract me. And we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And and uh, I want to kind of get back on track, but yeah, explode they, they got to get they got to get it done. And and so again, it's we're not saying he's not going to do it. Right, we're saying this is his, really his first. This is his first class that's going to be his class. Agreed. Right, as the coordinator, and and you know he needs to show that he can close. I like what I'm hearing so far. I'll say this as a positive. Talk to a couple guys that, that I have on the recruiting chart right now, and they're talking to these a lot of these top players, and a lot of them, especially Midwest guys, they they say, "Hey, I talk to Coach Reese all the time. He's really like him." So he is his name is being mentioned a lot, but Good. okay, can he turn that into? I think he's cool. To I want to go play for that guy. Yeah, right. Big right, Big and that's that's the key. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let's switch the conversation. Let's go running backs, Brian. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about Lance Taylor because I think he's been a great addition to the staff. Um, overall, mm -hmm. I I've been very happy with him. I know you've probably got information that I don't have, uh, which is why we're talking about this. But mm -hmm. um, the running back position itself, I think, has the ability to take a real step forward. And, and that's not saying that it wasn't good last year because sure. Kyron Williams is a 1,000-yard rusher. That's great. He was the threat out of the backfield. That's great. Uh, Chris Tyree, we know how great he can be. Uh, you know, obviously you and I think he should have more touches, mm -hmm. but I think this is an opportunity this year to get both of those guys on the field. You could have 2,000-yard rushers very easily in this backfield at Notre Dame. How does Lance Taylor make that happen? You know, I think Lance has definitely added a, a lot to the to the, the, the depth. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think he's a great recruiter yet, but he's certainly a much better recruiter than what Autry Denson was. Uh, you know, I mean, 
that's not saying a whole lot, though. I, right. I think coaching-wise, I think he's done a good job so far. I mean, like you said, you know, Tony Jones, if Tony Jones doesn't get hurt, Tony Jones is a 1,000-yard rusher in 2019, yeah. you know. Um, and Tony Jones averaged about 0.6 yards more per carry than Kyron Williams did this past year. Actually, the the the, the yards per carry for the starting running back went down this year with Kyron Williams, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily on him as much as, as it is the offensive philosophy, but – you know, I think there's another level Notre Dame needs to get to with its running game and its Absolutely. running backs. I mean, Notre Dame last year ranked 29th in the country in yards per attempt at 5.02. Uh, compare that to Ohio State, who was at 5.96. North Carolina was 5.75. I mean, that's a big jump. And when you consider the talent of the Notre Dame offensive line, Alabama, for example, last year averaged 5.0 yards per 5.0 yards per carry. Notre Dame is 5.02 yards per carry, so they're very similar. But Alabama's quarterback barely had over zero yards this last year. Matter of fact, going into the Notre Dame game, he was minus yards, right? Yeah. So, you know, let's just, you know, you can you kind of compare that and you say, well, you know, Ian Book, Notre Dame starting quarterback, averaged 4.2 yards per rush, and he averaged, and he had over 400 yards rushing last year. Alabama starting quarterback Mac Jones had a whopping 14 yards at 0.4 yards per carry. So when you look at the running backs, you know, the starting running backs at Alabama, uh, Najee Harris was 5.84 yards per carry. Brian Robinson was at 10.3 and their freshman Jace McClellan was at 10.7 on 23 carries. Chris Tyree was at 6.8 yards per carry, but they just used him as a breather guy. Yeah. You know, Steve was 5.2 and Kyron was 5.3. So it was good, but you were a running team. Alabama was a passing team uh, that would kind of, you know, the, the run game wasn't always the driving force. So their number two aspect was as good as your number one aspect. Right. That, that's my issue. Right. Um, you know, and so I think there's another level to get to. There's a lot of factors that go into this that don't necessarily have a lot to do with Lance Taylor, per se. Absolutely. Um, agree. Absolutely. But. You know, I want to see him. I want to see him do some things. I want to see him as the run game coordinator and as someone who has coached receivers, kind of with Tommy Reese, to say, "Hey, let's be more creative. Let's be more explosive. We've got some really talented running backs. Let's figure out ways to use both of them. Not, Absolutely. not well. We use both of them. Kyron's a starter, and Chris plays when he when Kyron needs a breather. We use both of them. That's yeah. not what we're talking about." <sighs> um, where I kind of say that's he's got to he's got to have the plan because you can't expect the head coach to come up with that you've got to come up with the plan and you've got to make it work right so you know what are we going to see from coach Taylor in that regards as a former receivers coach with a running back that is a former receiver I think that there's some more I'd like to see him kind of help install into the offense I mean remember he was Christian McCaffrey's coach back right. at Stanford and K Christian McCaffrey caught a lot of passes now yep. I am not saying Kyron Williams is Christian McCaffrey he is no. not my point however is that I know that there's a lot of ideas that he he has on how to do that sure I'd like to see him really this year be allowed to to do that more and then of course come up with ways where you can start getting more out of both of your running backs I mean look <clears throat> North Carolina Made, played basically the same schedule Notre Dame played. That's true. And had 2,000-yard running backs last year. They were they were the one-two punch in the ACC. as the, They were the two first-team all-ACC running backs yeah. from the same team. Yeah. I mean, so you're telling me that, that, that Michael Carter, who was the number one running – the number one rusher yards per game in the ACC, Javante Williams is number three. They both averaged over seven yards a carry. 
um, you know, combined for 28 touchdowns. And guess what? They still threw for over 100, 300 yards a game. So they were a passing That's team. That's a schematic. Well, they were a running team, well, in my, okay. I would argue. But because right, uh, a lot of the stuff they did was, was RPOs and things like that. But the point being, a team in your league that plays a relatively similar schedule is capable of having that, and it's not Clemson. Okay, right. so you can't say, well, these are five star recruits and all this other stuff, right? So the point being, both of those guys averaged almost two yards more per carry than Kyron Williams, right? He was at five point three. Then uh, Javante Williams is at seven point three. Michael Carter was at eight yards a carry. Okay, um, Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech was at seven point seven yards per carry. The point is, th- in this league, a lot of these other running backs are going for. You know, Duke's top running back was 6.8 yards per carry. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of backs averaging a lot high yards per carry relative to Notre Dame. And I don't think it's about talent. So I want to see Coach Taylor kind of have an influence on how are, how are some ways we can create a more explosive ground attack. The pass game is going to be part of that. Yeah. Right. The more you have to worry about your running backs out of the backfield and the RPOs and all those other kind of things, then the, the more dangerous, you, you know, those inside zones, it's kind of like, when you look at 2017, part of the reason Josh Adams had such a high yards per carry, it wasn't just that they had a great offensive line because none of the other backs, you know, had quite that. I mean, Deion McIntosh still got yards, but it wasn't like seven yards per carry. The reason Dexter and Josh Adams had such a high yards per carry was also when they were in the game, if you watched it, teams were so worried about Brandon Wimbush running the football. I remember the 80-yard touchdown run Josh Adams had against USC. If you go back and watch that play, and watch when he gets the – it's just an inside zone. He cuts behind Alex Bars. The backside linebacker, the overhang defender, and the safety to that side are all running at Brandon, Brandon Wimbush as Josh Adams is running vertically. So those were things that the system itself allowed those opportunities because those safeties couldn't just key on Josh Adams. Yeah, That's gone now because, number one, you don't have Brandon Wimbush at quarterback from a running standpoint. But, number two, you don't – that's where the RPOs and the different things like that come into play where – you know, you're running an inside zone and you got Chris Tyree on a swing route opposite Kyron Williams running that that inside zone. You got to worry about that because if you don't, you throw a quick screen pass or a quick swing pass to Chris Tyree, he's catching it, getting up the sideline for a, for a home run. So they have to do things that keep the defense more occupied because if safeties have to take an extra second before they can fly downhill, that extra second is the difference between Kyron Williams going for 10 and Kyron Williams going for 50. Yep. Or Chris Tyree going for 10 or Chris Tyree going for 80. Yep. You get what I'm saying? So um, I put a lot of that on Coach Taylor because I, I, he's proven to be able to generate that kind of explosiveness out of the backfield. And, you know, I, I want to see him be able to, to bring that to Notre Dame. You know, I love what he's done so far. Fundamentally sound. You know, guys improve each year. This is a big year for him because you've got a returning starter that's a very good back, second-team All-American Sporting News, and you've got one of the most explosive players in the entire country in your running backfield. If you can't get production from that, you got at some point in time you got to stop blaming the players. Yeah, right. I mean, well, you know, I'm sorry, they need to stop blaming the players a long time. Yeah, ago. But yeah. That, that's another yeah. that's another podcast. Yeah. Right down. Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. I, I am. I. Look, Lance Taylor, he's the run game coordinator, right? I mean, he has that title. So he's got to say, it's not like he's just a position coach who is beholden to everything else that's going on around him. Mm -hmm. And all he's worried about is, are they taking the handoff the correct way, right? He is the offensive offensive run game coordinator. So Mm -hmm. there has to be some 
I, blame isn't the right word, but there, he has a responsibility to make sure that the run game is operating at the most peak efficiency. Mm-hmm. And it's not yet. I mean, that, that's right. the bottom line. It's not. And so, and all you have to do is look in the conference, right? And so, as you did. And I, I'm hoping that, again, he has the gravitas, he has the stones, whatever you want to say, to go to Tommy Reese and be like, look, this is what we need to do with the run game. I've got two uh, thoroughbreds back here who need to get touches. We need to get them the ball. Let's think of some creative ways to get both of them involved in this offense. So from what my sources have told me over the last year is that Tommy Reese and Lance Taylor have a very good relationship. Beautiful. Very, like, open. Yeah. They listen to each other. They talk to each other. So I don't think – I don't think Lance Taylor going in there and, and you know having ideas would be an issue. It's just more about them coming up with things to to then take it to the boss man and say, this is what we need to right. do. Like there needs to be this unified front of, yes, yeah. we need to push the temple more. No, we do not need to be Oregon under Chip Kelly, right? Right. But you know, if if North Carolina can do this in the ACC, why the freaking heck can't we yeah. do this in the ACC? You know? And then you start doing what North Carolina is doing with the talent that Notre Dame has, not just at the skill players, but on the offensive line. Because no one's talking about North Carolina's offensive linemen being, you know, day one and day two draft picks like they're talking about Notre Dame's offensive linemen, right? Um, so, so you know, and, and Sam Howe's a good football player. He's not Trevor Lawrence. So you can't use that, well, you know, of course Clemson's good because they have Trevor Lawrence. Well, Sam Howell ain't Trevor yeah, Lawrence. Right. Okay? He's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but you're telling me that that Drew Pine and and Tyler Buckner and and – you know, all the guys that Notre Dame recruits year after year can't be that. Yeah, they can. Yes, they can. It's just they've committed to a system that allows them to do that. And then you you have Notre Dame's defense doing what they do. That's the recipe that we keep talking about. So, right. Um, you know, that that's where they are. And I, that's where I say it's a big year for Coach Taylor to be able to say, okay, now go get that done. You know, you look at his last year at Stanford, Christian McCaffrey averaged 6.3 yards per carry. Bryce Love was a 7.1. Hmm. Right, had over 700 yards rushing, so he That's showed even together in the same yeah, back. Right, and so you know you had the best running back in the country, and you were still able top 10 NFL draft pick, who some have argued is the best running back in the NFL, and you still found a way right. to get your number two back. You know some playing time, so uh, and, and some some productive playing time. So you know I I think that it's a situation where it's it's now year three for him. It's time for him to be able to step up and say, you know, hey, let's let's go get this thing done. You know, and and yep. and you look at it, that was McCaffrey's junior year, was Bryce Love's sophomore year, you know. Uh, you know, the year before Christian McCaffrey had over two thousand yards, and the next highest running back was Barry Sanders at three fifteen. Yeah. Kind of similar to what we saw. Just saying this year. So, you know, but then Bryce Love as a freshman only had 29 carries, averaged 7.8 yards a carry. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not what, you know, he did. Chris Tyree, similar, you know, type situation. So the next year, Chris Tyree or Bryce Love became a much more used weapon and they had a dynamic backfield. Um, and now I want now. And again, part of that was if you go back and look, Bryce Love got some production when when Christian McCaffrey was out. Sure, and so it's it's kind of it can be a little misleading that yeah. production, yeah, um, because it wasn't all done with them together, yeah, kind of like the CJ Procise Josh Adams one two punch in 2015 for Notre Dame. So, right. but at the same time, there were some games where they both played and they both had production. So I, that's what I want to see from the Notre Dame uh, backfield this year. And Lance Taylor's got to be a big part of that. He needs to utilize his relationship with Tommy Reese 
to say, let's build around these strengths and and then let's kind of get together and, and go to the boss man and say, hey, coach, this is what we need to do. There's no reason we can't be scoring on the same level that North Carolina is scoring, especially since we have a defense that can make more stops. Good call. So let's move let's move outside to the wide receiver position, Brian. And this is the one where, I mean, I don't want to take a turn to negative town. That's not where I want to go. Uh, but we're going to talk about Dell Alexander. And look, for, on the face of it, he's bringing in some, some great recruits. Uh, the, the youth movement uh, at the wide receiver position is unbelievable. The problem is they're not getting on the field. The other issue is those guys aren't in a Notre Dame uniform because of Dell Alexander. Uh, from everything that I can gather. So this is a big year for him because if those young guys are going to see the field, they're going to have to get coached up. And how, what is that going to look like? You know, are you going to, are you insistent on throwing the, 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 you know, the Bible at them and having to know everything chapter and verse, or is it going to be a situation where, Hey, this is what these guys do best. Here's how we need to get them involved. And is that all on Dell Alexander? So, mm-hmm. A lot of different things to talk about uh, with with Coach Alexander, Brian. So let me let me say what Coach Alexander's done a really good job with. Okay, start with positive. I like when, that. When he has a veteran group, he's been able to do a good job getting the most out of them. I think the issues this year with the wide receivers that played yes. was not a Dell Alexander problem. It was a that's fair offensive philosophy problem. Right. Because one thing we've argued is Javon McKinley is open a lot more than people realize. Yeah. You know, we're, I'm having the same arguments with Javon McKinley that I had with with Notre Dame fans about Chase Claypool when they said, well, Notre Dame didn't have enough speed at receiver. I'm like, well, wait till the combine. We had the same <laughs> exactly. conversation with Miles Boykin. I'm like, yeah. I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at the Cotton Bowl. I'm up high. I can look down, see everything. And I'm watching Miles Boykin smoke corners for on post routes. It should be for touchdowns and the ball doesn't come. That's not a wide receiver problem. That's not a separation problem. That's a quarterback problem. So I don't blame him for, for the – I think he's been able to – when guys are in this system for a while, they're able to develop and he's able to get veterans to play at a high level. Having said that, the issue that I have is that's 20 years ago, right? This is a, an era where young players are more ready to play than ever, but they're not usually guys that are walking the door and you don't need to coach them up kind of guys. The problem that Notre Dame has, and this isn't all Dell Alexander. Agreed. I'm confident in saying that Dell Alexander has a lot dictated to him I agree as far as what he's going to do. So – the coaching aspect of it, there's some limitations to it. I think Coach Alexander needs to step up and, and use his voice more. Sure. He's a very experienced coach. Yep. I mean, you go back and look at his track record at Arizona State, his track record at Wisconsin. This is a guy that's produced some good receiving cores. He's a good football coach. I don't think he uses his voice enough. I think he allows things to be dictated to him and just kind of uh, ch- chalks it up. I think he does a poor job of once the season starts of coaching younger players. He just kind of, these are my starters and this is who I'm working with. And we'll worry about yeah. the young guys in the off season. That's a yeah. poor philosophy, right? That's on him. He's got to change that. Okay. Uh, and so those are some things I think he needs to do a better job with. Number one, the bigger issue for me with him is recruiting. Um, yes. He needs to get, Kevin Austin and and Braden Lindsay going as veterans, but he also has to work his tail off to make sure Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts are ready to go out and ball this year. Same with Lawrence Keith. Stop brushing guys aside and focusing on their limitations. Focus on the things they do. 
coach right. those things up and use them. He needs to do a better job of that. But he really needs to step it up in recruiting. And this is one of those things where people look at the receiver classes and say, well, they just signed a you know top 10 receiver class. They got Lorenzo Styles and Deion right. Colsey. And right. True. They lost Deion Colsey initially because of a lack of contact. That's just a fact, right? I've talked to multiple sources down in Georgia. Deion Colsey's too classy to say this. He's too respectful. He comes from a great family. They are not going to bash Coach Alexander publicly because they are not that kind of people. I'll say it for them. <laughs> that was a, It wasn't the only reason. No, I know. There were other reasons, but that it's was a fact. the way you said it. That's all these other coaches are – talking to him every day, the Notre yeah. Dame receivers coach is just kind of like, well, he's already committed. That's not how recruiting works, no, number one. No, number two, not. you look at Lorenzo Styles. you know, Lorenzo Styles' primary recruiter was not Dell Alexander. It was Chip Long. Same thing with Jordan Johnson. I mean, I would argue that Dell Alexander was the third factor of from a personal standpoint in Jordan Johnson picking Notre Dame. Um, and Dell Alexander had almost no impact on Xavier Watts committing to Notre Dame. So yeah. – you look at it and say, well, where's his role? I mean, look, we've talked to – we had a guy at an event this weekend, a seven-on-seven event, talking to some of the top 100 recruits, and they're like, yeah, I love Coach Reese. He's a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Well, what about Coach Alexander? Who? I mean, that's kind of the reaction, yeah. you know, and that's bad. You know, uh, there was a, a top – 250 receiver that Brian Kelly had been on the phone with, Tommy Reese had been on the phone with, and then it kind of got passed on to Coach Alexander. And it's like, you haven't heard from them in a while. And you're just like, you know, what, what are you doing here? And, and there's a couple oh, receivers here and there that say I talk to Coach Alexander all the time, but this is the point that I've always made because we, we've heard this with other coaches in the past. Well, you know, I talked to this kid. He says he talk, hears from all the time because the guy's focused on like five guys. Yeah. That's a problem. To recruit a position at receiver like Notre Dame, you got to have a bigger board. Yeah. And you got to treat all those guys like dudes. Yep. Right. I have, from, from talking to some people I had at a seven on seven event, Ryan Day's name is mentioned more from that's a head coach of Ohio State, is mentioned right. more as far as I talk to him more. These are just receivers. Then I talk to the Notre Dame wide receivers coach whose only flipping job is to recruit wide receivers in Notre Dame. Mm. That's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, Caleb Brown should hear from Dell Alexander on the regular. Yes. Right? CJ Williams should have, and it's too late for that. I think that ship has pretty much sailed now. Same with Ted Aroa McMillan. That ship has sailed first. You're an L.A. guy. You're from Los Angeles. This was part of the reason you were brought in. And you can't even make a dent with a kid. I mean, there's pictures of C.J. Williams giving interviews talking about, you know, that they're that they're using an older photo and he's wearing a Notre Dame shirt, you know. But Notre Dame isn't even in the mix now. So I'm seeing this stuff and I'm saying, you know, and then you, you read the articles and then you talk to people that know these kids and you're like, yeah, Notre Dame just didn't really make a, much of a push for him. Well, Tommy Reese can't recruit every single receiver. Right. And that's, you know, and, and and as much as Chip Long got along, I mean, if it was just about Chip Long, Jalen McMillan's at Notre Dame. Right. Right. But it can't just be about the coordinator for every kid. You also have to have some situations where it, you need to be able to say, hey, we need the head coach involved. We need the receiver coach involved. And and that's where Notre Dame has fallen short. And that's and why they've had good, really good receiver classes. But here's the big thing, Vince. I'm tired of Notre Dame saying, well, look, we had a good class. Yes, but it should have been better. Right. It could have been better if you put in the work. You're Notre Dame. You're always going to get top players. You have to be the most incompetent staff ever, Ty Willingham, to, to, to not get good recruits at Notre Dame. Right, it's about whether or not you're willing to put in the work to have great classes yeah. at Notre Dame. Yes, 
And so that's the issue is and, and until Coach Alexander starts grinding on the recruiting trail, it's like he it's like he's really comfortable. And I and I don't like comfortable coaches because comfortable yeah. coaches tend to get lazy. They get lazy. Just say it. I would just say complacent. I don't okay. think it's about laziness. I think that because I think Dell Alexander works, but what is your work being geared towards? Right. Complacency is lazy to me, but that's me. That's to me. me, yeah, I, I don't think. See, to me, I think laziness is I'm just sitting at the office, you know, eating Cheetos, watching TV. That's not what Coach Alexander is doing. It's okay. I'm going to focus more over here and not over here, right? You know, and and that's to me, it's a, it's a, it's not putting enough emphasis on this very important part of your job. And I think to me, that's why, yeah, you know, I don't view it as lazy. And I'd be willing to call a Coach lazy if he was lazy. Okay, just saying, I, I don't think that's the issue with Coach Alexander. Um, I think it's more about just not putting enough emphasis. But when your head coach doesn't put as much emphasis on recruiting in regards to his daily activity and, and being involved, and you know, if you know the head coach isn't going to challenge you on your board every other day, like what happens at Ohio State, what happens at Clemson, what's happened at Oklahoma and, and Alabama, then then you're gonna be able to get away. Ah, you know, coach, you know, when when you have only talk to the coach every every once in a while about recruiting. Well, you know, we t- we tried, but the kid wasn't interested. You think Brian yeah. Kelly's going to go get look at the logs and do digging to find out if that was actually the case? No, no, he's not. And so, if you don't like recruiting necessarily, you don't love recruiting, then then you're not. Look, Chip Long loved recruiting. I, I, Mike Elko, I think, really likes recruiting, and that's why they're good at it. Clark Lee liked getting recruits, but I don't think he necessarily liked recruiting. With the grind uh, of it, yeah, yeah, and so if you don't have a head coach that's forcing guys like that to recruit, then you're going to see this. So that's why I say it's up to Coach Reese to be able to go to Coach Alexander and say, "Hey, look, if you don't talk to Caleb Brown, you know, every other day at least, we're going to have to go into the boss man's office and have a conversation." You, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what you got to do. I mean, but the reality is, head coach or you shouldn't have to do that, right? But that's what's needed. I mean, they've got to step it up and recover in this recruiting class because they're going to have another good recruiting class, a receiver. But we're going to look back again and say, but what if yeah. they would have gotten Caleb Brown? Sure. What if they would have got C.J. Williams? What you know? Don't don't complain to me about your lack of playmakers in three years when these guys are balling at other schools and you could have had them if you just would have put in the work. Yep. And it's not admission. It's not an admissions problem. It's not. It's not that these kids don't care about academics. That is far from the truth with a lot of these kids. So, so that's kind of where I say it. For Coach Alexander, he's, he's got to step it up. It's a big year for him on and off the field. He's got to step up. And if he doesn't, some, some, some hard conversations need to be had. Brian, I want to talk uh, about one of the most talented position groups uh, on the field and probably one of the coaches that not even a lot of, of uh, people really know about because you just don't hear his name very often. That's John McNulty. He's the tight ends coach. And uh, look, you work at Notre Dame. Your job as the tight ends coach is always going to be important. But why is it such an important position this year? So, first of all, I think John McNulty's done a heck of a job coaching. I mean, Absolutely. you know, you had the best tight end in the country, freshman tight end in the country last year in a year that was had some good tight ends in it. Uh, that's Tommy Trumbull kind of owning his role. George Takis played well when he played. Brock Wright did some good things when he played. So, John McNulty clearly did some good things for Notre Dame this year as a coach. That part of it I'm not concerned about. I, I think, you know, yeah, it's important that he is able to develop the depth chart behind Michael Mayer. Uh, that's, you know, so, I mean, yes, he's got to coach well this year again 
and getting George Takis to play to his full potential, getting Kevin Bauman ready to play, getting Kane Barong ready to play. Those things are all important, you know, helping Michael Mayer take that next level, that next step. But I kind of assume he's going to do that. I have a lot of faith in John McNulty as a position coach. My question is more from a recruiting standpoint because I look at Notre Dame's recruiting at tight end since John McNulty arrived, and, and it's a little questionable to me. Basically, Notre Dame has landed two tight ends since he arrived. Number one is Mitchell Evans, who's a three-star kid, uh, was a uh, quarterback in high school. You know, he's got some tools, but you know, he's a bit of a project, which is fine because you have Kane Barong, you got Michael Mayer and Kevin Bauman a year before. I'm totally fine taking a kid like uh, like Mitchell Evans in theory. I'm okay with Notre Dame taking Jack Nickel, you know, to a degree as well. He's not a really a highly ranked kid. He's got some tools. But, you know, he's not on the level of a Michael Mayer and or Tommy Trumbull of what I thought of Tommy Trumbull, Cole Komet, Brock Wright. He's not on that level. And those are the two tight ends that he's he's landed. I'm, and they're still talking about taking a second tight end in this class. So that would be two years in a row, excuse me, three years in a row where you're taking two tight ends. And, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless you don't have any faith in some of the guys that are on campus. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. Or – you know, you're it just it, it's a questionable strategy. The strategy is not necessarily just his because that's a, an entire staff strategy. But then I look at the guys he's recruiting, and, and there's some I, mean, I like Eli Raritan, but I'm just wondering, like, why did you make such an early decision on Jack Nickel? Uh, why did you, you know, why are you now pushing for a second tight end? And there's some good tight ends on the board, but we're just not seeing the same high level type of talent at tight end that we're used to. And so one of two things is happening. Number one is that John McNulty has a great eye for recruiting, and he's actually bringing in guys that will end up being big-time players. And if that's true, then great. That's awesome. And, and, and so my hope is that that is what it is. But my other concern is this is a guy that was in the NFL for a long time, and I always get really nervous about guys that were in the NFL for a while. And this is one of my concerns with Lance Taylor in regards to Yes, it's good that you're getting good backs, but are you going to get the really best of the best backs that you, that are on your board? Can you get Dallin Hayden? Can you get Nick Singleton? Which means you got to beat Ohio State for one of those guys. Can you do that? Are you willing to put in the work to do that? Because to beat Tony Alford, you got to out recruit him, and that's hard to do. And that's my question at tight end: is is he just kind of taking good players that are easy to get, that are natural Notre Dame players, or is he willing to battle for the best of the best? Because Offensive line and tight end are two positions that Notre Dame should be able to go to toe, toe to toe for just about any kid that they want. And so that's kind of my concern for him is I'm really curious to see how, number one, this tight end class finishes, but then number two, how these guys perform. So maybe his is a little bit more of a long-term view because it just, it, to me, on the face of it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm willing to give Coach McNulty the benefit of the doubt because I do think he's done a really good job so far uh, from a coaching standpoint. And I do think as an NFL coach, he clearly has an eye uh, for talent. Um, but it's just, for me, I, I have to be, if I'm being honest and objective, I have to say, I don't quite understand their tight end strategy. I don't understand why taking Mitchell Evans and then taking Jack Nickel early and then taking another project type tight end that they're looking at now. And I like Eli Raritan on film and he's got some tools, but he's not Michael Mayer. He's not to me, Tommy Trumbull. He's not Cole Komet. At least I don't see that yet. So, um, that's kind of my question for why, uh, to me, this is also a big year for for Coach McNulty. He's got to prove that his strategy is correct, uh, and then also develop the the talented young depth chart that he currently has. 
Well, Brian, that's going to do it for this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast, talking offensive coaches and why this is such a big year. Oh, I felt like my head was going to explode there a couple of times. I, I need to take a breath. I need to, take a, I need to chill out a little bit. Um, but make sure you stay locked into irishbreakdown.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel. They hit that little bell down there that uh, gets you those notifications so you know when we go live, uh, when we've got new videos dropping. Uh, it's all very, very important. And, of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcast because guess what? That's pretty important too. Uh, but, again, uh, make sure you stay locked into irishbreakdown.com. And we will have uh, why this is a big year for the defensive coaches as well. So make sure you keep a lookout uh, for that because it will be coming down your way very, very soon. So for Brian, I'm Vince, and we will talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.